Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Just right before you start, or as you start to rush toward your enemy, you have this, you know, this great shout of, we're going to conquer, and you, know, you go into war. You guys familiar with the battle cry? But no, you don't, you don't seem like you are. I'm not sure. Yeah. Actually... You know, because we are in an army and because we are in a battle, we do need to practice our battle cry, right? I mean, we do as, as Christians. And, and so I thought, you know, this morning it would be a good place to practice our battle cry. And, and you kind of did it. But, but, you know, everybody has a battle cry from the Lord. And so we want to just all together with one voice just give a great shout um, of, our, of your battle cry to the Lord. And, and I don't want you to hold back because here's what I want to happen. I want the kids in children's ministry to go like, whoa, I want to be in there. So that way, when, when they grow up, they'll be like, dude, those adults have fun in, in, in the sanctuary, and I want to be in there. So here's the thing. I don't want you to hold back. I want you to give the Lord a, a, just a shout of victory because he's given us victory. Okay, at the count of three, are you ready? I don't, are you ready? Okay, one, two three. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That is awesome. That is good. These kids have no idea what just happened. And they're like, oh man, what's going on in there? Hey, just as, just, just as, as every battle has a battle cry, there is a cry with every battle. And and that, that cry is a different kind of cry, isn't it? It's not a shout of victory, it's not a shout of triumph, but it's a, really a wailing of mourning. You kind of saw it pictured on the screen there. It's, it's as you're you know, over a, you know, one of your loved ones or whatnot, and you're, you're wailing over them as a result of a battle cry. The title of my sermon this morning is The Battle Cry and the Cry of Battle. And what we will experience in the next three chapters is this very thing. We'll see the children of Israel with this mighty shout as they go into Jericho. And yet we will see them weeping over 36 men that their lives are lost as a result of disobedience to the Lord. And so would you pray with me before we get started? Father, we thank you this morning for who you are, that you are great, you're glorious, and we love you. Father, we love you because you first loved us. And we thank you, Father, that you reveal your love to us every day. If we just open our eyes, Lord, we can sense your love for us. We can see it. Father, you leave your fingerprints everywhere because you want to be seen. You want to be sensed. And we just thank you this morning that you're here. And Lord, we want to be touched by you. And we ask, Father, that you would just transform our hearts. Lord, would you give us the battle cry? Would you help us, Lord, to know that the victory has been given to us through Christ? Would you help us, Lord, to to, to not have to experience the cry of battle because victory is sure in you. And so, Lord, we just ask you to invade our hearts this morning that you would just draw us close and that you would do what needs to be done in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can open your Bibles up to Joshua chapter 6 this morning. Joshua chapter 6, and if you're a guest with us, uh, we want to welcome you, and we're, we're grateful you're here. If you're watching this online, which I know uh, Bill Davis is, is right on that camera right there. Can everybody say, hey, Bill? Bill, we love you. 
we're glad you're here, Bill, and uh, we hope you're doing well. We're praying for you, buddy. We know that uh, the Lord is uh, at work in your life, and Melinda, we want, to, want you to be encouraged today that God is at work, he's in control, and uh, we as a body um, are with you in spirit, and we're glad that you're with us in spirit as well. And uh, m- maybe someone's watching, listening to this on a podcast, we want to welcome them as well. But, uh, you know, it, we are in the midst of a study of the book of Joshua, and we entitled the series called Arise. As you'll see, the Lord is calling Joshua and the children of Israel to arise. And that is the vision for Calvary Chapel in 2017, is for us to arise and take back the city from the clutches of the enemy. And I'm excited about what God is doing in our midst. And you know what's interesting is when God begins to move and the people of God begin to, to arise, what happens? The enemy rears up, doesn't he? Because he knows what is going to happen Victory is sure because the Lord is bigger. And so, you know, as we experience these little glitches and and the enemy trying to rear his ugly head in our midst, we're just going to pray harder. We're going to take our sword out and swing faster and stronger. We're not going to cower down to the enemy. As as we see different things happen, he's going to try and disunify us as a body. That won't happen if we keep our eyes on Jesus. And so as the army of God, that's exactly what we want to do. We are joining the ranks of the many in our city that are already fighting this battle and the Lord has called us to the charge. And so I hope you're excited about 2017 because God is about to do some great things in our midst, just as he did with the children of Israel. Now, just to bring you up to speed very quickly, uh, the, the children of Israel are being led into the promised land by a guy named Joshua. He took over the command post from Moses after he died. And, and the Lord gave him a promise in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. It was the same promise that he gave Moses. And here was the promise. Here's what it says. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. His victory is sure. The God said, you have victory. And the Lord, as we were praying about 2017, that was the verse that he gave uh, to me. And, and he said, you know, I want you to go into the city and every place that the, foot, uh, the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I will give to you. And that means us as a church, blanket. This isn't my call, it's our call. It's, it's his ministry and he is giving our body that call. One thing that you need to know about God, if you don't already, is that God keeps his word. Every single thing that he says comes to pass. Every promise that he's given, he will keep. And every word that he speaks, he will for sure do. And so just as the Lord has declared to Joshua this promise, so he has promised us and he will keep his promises. Now, the children of Israel are going into this land to take back the promised land. Before they can go into the land, the Lord is preparing their hearts. Now, there there was a whole generation that had to die because of their unbelief. Like they didn't believe that God was big enough to take them into the promised land. And we'll get into that in a minute. They were totally like, uh, you know, Moses sent out 12 spies. Ten of them came back and said, no way. We're not going in. They're too big. Listen, what is bigger than God? Who is bigger than God? No one is bigger than God. And in fact, the other two spies who happened to be Joshua, the one leading the children of Israel into the promised land, and a guy named Caleb, which I'll introduce you to in, in the next couple chapters, these two guys are the only guys from that generation that are allowed to go into the promised land because they believed God. 
because they believe God. God is into us believing in what he says. Like he wants us to trust him and he wants us to have faith in him. And that's totally evident in this story this morning that we'll get into as he prepares the hearts of the children of Israel in chapters two through five, as he prepares them to go in, revealing himself to them, uh, you know, building their faith that they might believe in the plans that he has for them because it will require much faith we see the climax of the preparation where um, none other than the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, shows up on the scene in chapter 5 of Joshua. Yes, I know, in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ reveals himself. And he stands up to Joshua and he says, Joshua, you, my friend, are now subservient to me and I'm going to take you in. I have come, Jesus said. I have come, now you follow me. As the Lord was just saying, hey, I've been with you in spirit, but I will be with you physically, and, and Jesus shows up on the scene. How awesome is that? And uh, Joshua speaks to Jesus face to face. Now as we get into chapter six, it's Jesus talking to Joshua, so it's important that you understand that. And so here we go, Joshua chapter six, beginning in verse one, Jesus speaking. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand and its, and its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and when they make a long blast with the ram, ram's horns, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall, flat, fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. You ever noticed with the Lord that things aren't as they seem? Things aren't as they seem. They're never quite what, what he, he maybe paints the picture to look like. He tells Joshua here, it, 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 Joshua, see Jericho. It's as if they're standing outside the city. Look, I have given it to you. See, Joshua? It doesn't quite look like it's in a place where he can take it. It's buttoned up. It is tight as a barrel. And you know, oftentimes we find ourselves faced with some impossibility. And God says, no, I've given you this. No, you, you just need to plow forward and go. What, what the Lord is saying is you've got to have faith. You've got to have faith to fulfill the promises that I'm giving you. And he was telling Joshua in this moment, you're going to have to have faith if you're going to follow me, Joshua. God is going to put us in impossible situations. Listen, because he wants us to understand where the victory comes from. He does not want us to, to even slightly think that we might have something to do with what it is that he is doing through us. You understand that. What do you mean? It's not about me? Um, no, it's not. Actually, it's not about you at all. In fact, you died. And if you're in Christ, you died, you were buried, and it's now Christ living through you. It's about him. And Jesus is telling Joshua, Joshua, you're going to have to trust me if you're going to follow me. And, and of course, Joshua was obviously had, had developed this kind of trust with the Lord. And yet, even though he'd been walking with the Lord and the Lord had showed him great things, God will continue to push the envelope of your faith. 
He will continue to press forward and say, are you going to trust me when you have this? Are you going to trust me with that disease? Are you going to trust me with that financial situation? You know, and he's going to continue to press you and you're going to say, Lord, how much more? You know, and he says, this is the place that I need you to be in the place of impossibility because now I can show you how big I am. You know, God uses us. I, I love Hudson Taylor. I love what he says. One of my favorite quotes of all times difficulties afford him a platform in which to work. Now, that doesn't sound fun, but what it shows us is that when we are in difficult spots, when we are in the impossibility of life, when there is no way out but God, and he shows up, he becomes bigger in our life, and now we are that much more fit as a vessel of honor to go in and share with God to those people that are struggling, hey, listen, God is bigger God can see you through this. He's going to get you through that. But it's going to take faith. You know, when we, we come across a Bible verse like Romans 8, 28, God works everything out for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. Now, the good. The good is kind of deceiving, isn't it? Because we, kind of, we kind of are infatuated with the idea that the good means that, you know, for us, we're going to get what we want. That's not what it means at all. What God is saying is that he's going to give us what is good for us, as a father would to his child. He's going to give us the right things at the right time. And so we have to trust him in those situations. And oftentimes we challenge the verse with our unbelief. And we say, Lord, I don't see the good that you're doing here. How could this possibly be good? Do you not know that my, my, my family member died or, or this situation happened or whatever? I'm, I'm faced with this situation and, and I'm struggling and... and and the Lord says, no, but I'm working it out. I'm working it out for your good. Understand, he knows what he's doing. He created the universe with words. He created you. You know, the song we just sang, you surrender to his design. He designed you for something. And you have to surrender to that thing. But you're going to have to have faith. You're going to have to trust him in every step of your life. How many of you, you know, just wa have walked into the, the, the faith of the Lord? You've believed in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And, you know, from that point on, your life has just been, you know, you feel like you're walking uphill. Like every, you know, you're like, wow, it seems like one thing after another. And, and, and you're like, man, I don't know if this is for me. I don't know if I'm cut out for it. Apparently, you're not experiencing God in the moment. Because when we're in Christ, yes, there are difficulties that come. I mean, we're going to kind of, you know, dismantle the idea that when we come to Christ, all our problems go away, because that's not the case. In fact, things get probably more difficult, because now we're a threat to the enemy. And so, you know, but here's the deal, is that when we walk with Christ, and we have that communion with him on a daily basis, and although it's tough, I know it's tough, I've dealt with tough things in my life, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, he will build your faith, and he'll see you through. And you will not just, you won't just, you know, survive it, you know, like you're floundering like a fish out of water, but you will thrive through it. The early church grew exponentially through the persecution of the church. Now, how can that be? Because they were in that loving communion with Jesus. They were just loving Jesus through their problems. Community-wide, they came together. And they were loving each other. Listen, that, that call has never changed. 
we are in the 21st century or whatever, and, and that is still the same. God is calling us to the same life, to the same faith, to the same community. You know, he's calling us to believe him. He's telling Joshua, will you believe me? Listen, if you're faced with impossibility today, that's right where God wants you. Because you're going to have to trust him. And then as he shows himself strong in your life, 2 Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro, seeking those loyal hearts that he might show himself strong through you. As the Lord shows himself strong through you, he builds your faith. And man, you're able to minister to people like you've never been able to before because your faith has been increased. God wants to do that in your life. He wants to show you that the impossibilities are meant as platforms for him to reveal himself to you, to show himself strong. Mark chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus said this. He said, with man it is impossible, but with God. Don't you love that part? With man it's impossible, period. End of story. Let's move on to chapter 11. No, that's not the way it goes. With God or with man, it is impossible, but with God. But not with God, for all things are possible with God. Victory is hidden in plain sight, church. It's right before your eyes. Jesus says, see, child, see, daughter, see, son. And if you're looking through, spiritual, uh, through physical eyes, the only thing you're going to see is a buttoned-up Jericho that is impenetrable. A formidable city that you're going to say, there's no way for me to get into that. You know, the, the walls of Jericho are not going to be past there's no way i can do that but if you look through the lens of faith and you and you look at god and you say and you trust him at his word god will show you the way it's going to take faith now it, it's amazing to me the plan that god has for you. the war plan you i mean you, everybody knows this story you you've been around church at all, you've gone through this story in children's ministry, whatever. You want me to do what? You want us to march around the wall? Doesn't that kind of make us, I don't know, an easy target? I'm not a, I'm not a genius, but that might seem like it might put us in a precarious situation. I'm not sure about that, you know. And, and, you know, I'm pretty sure they have hot tar they're ready to pour on our heads as we go around. But, but okay, march around. Okay, I got you. What do priests in the Ark of the Covenant have anything to do with war? Why would you? What? Okay, Lord. Trumpets. Of ram's horns. Blow them? Like, like let them know we're coming? Like, no, hey, no surprise here. Here we come. Doo! You know, Lord, this does not seem very smart. Really. The creation is telling the creator what is smart and what is not smart. You know what I think? I think Joshua is, yes, sir, whatever you say, sir. That's what I think. I think as Joshua encountered these plans that Jesus had for him, he was like, Yes and amen, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, Lord. Because I know you. 
because I have a relationship with you and because I've seen you do all kinds of things that have built my faith to this place now where, yeah, you're going to stretch me, Lord, but I'm going to trust you because I've done it my whole life that way. He was a man that trusted God. Listen, there was no way that they were going to be able to overtake these walls on their own. It was by faith. And Joshua had the faith. In Hebrews 11.30, by faith, the writer says, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. It's insane how it happened. Listen, I hope when I get to heaven that I can go into the media room and I can, you know, DVR back to this time frame when, when I see Jesus telling Joshua how he's going to do it. How he's going to give him victory. I, I don't know if he's laughing when he's telling him this. He's like, no, 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 seriously, this is what we're going to do. No, come on. Let me, no, seriously, we're just going to march around it six times and then you're going to blow the trumpets, the ark, and the, and, and the priests are going to be with you and then, you know, and then on the seventh day, we're going to march around it seven times. And then you're just going to blow the trumpets. As soon as you hear them, you shout and the walls are going to fall down. It's going to be glorious. Come on, are you with me? And Joshua's like, you betcha I am because I have faith. Now, it sounds fictional, but this is a true account. Like, I don't know how you approach the Bible. I'm not sure if you come to the Bible like, this is a great story. Like, it's fictional. This is not fictional, right? This really happened. You know, they have uncovered Jericho's walls. They are rumble, rubble on the ground. That didn't happen by force. That happened because we have exactly what happened here. Jesus told them exactly how it was going to happen. This is a true account of what happened in Jericho. And it's amazing. And so it, what, it, what it's meant for us to do is for us to look at and say, man, I... God, what I'm faced with, I think you can handle. I'm pretty sure whatever walls I have to penetrate, you can handle. Look what you did here. And he wrote you 66 different letters like that in here to increase your faith, to show you who he is. Now, God does abnormal things when he's moving. You hear that? God does abnormal things when he's moving. What do I mean by that? Well, typically, the priests, number one, were excluded from war. They weren't called to war. They were, that, their calling was to serve God in the temple. They were not called to go to war. That didn't happen. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant wasn't brought to war. In fact, the one time that they did try and bring it to war, Saul brought it out, and it got captured by the Philistines. Remember that. It's not meant to be in war. And yet, in this case, God says, you're going to war. So you do what he says. He does the unusual when he's moving. And so we have to trust. We can't formalize God. We can't say this is how he's going to move in our situation. We have to trust whatever his word tells us to. Whatever he says to us, we have to trust. You know, when we were, when we were um, in the midst of building this out, you know, months ago, as we were praying out, praying about the, 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 the build out and all this kind of stuff, and I was just like, Lord, I'm not sure that we need to do this. You know, I'm not sure that we're in the place where we need to do this. And yet, just a few months later, you know, three, four months later, we're filling the, the sanctuary. And yet it was a step of faith, wasn't it? On all of our part, really. But when the Lord said, yeah, I want you to move and I want you to do that, he knew what he had planned. 
And yet most people would, and I had several people say to me, well, isn't it usually the way that God does that is he waits, you know, you go to three, four services before you do that kind of stuff and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I think so. But at the end of the day, that's not what he's doing here. You know, here's the deal is this isn't my church and these aren't my plans. You know, this is, this is, I'm the Joshua of this church and I'm just trying to follow the Lord and do what he tells me to do. And yet, as I see that and I take the steps of faith to do what I'm called to do, I see God do what he's, what he's doing. His plans are being revealed, but they won't be revealed unless you take the step. So he's telling them, don't worry about that. Now, the trumpets, you know, they used, yeah, they did use two silver trumpets, not ram's horns. God, that was unusual. But also, what is interesting is that, you know, they used them as signaling in war, but that's not really the purpose here. What it is, is they also used these horns during uh, the, the beginning of the feast where they would toot the horn, they would blow the trumpet, and, they would, and that was the signal to everybody in the camp that God is, God is now here, ready to be worshipped. You come and worship the Lord. It was a call to worship. It was evidence that the presence of God was in the house. The priests, again, they are there as representatives to, to declare the presence of God in this place that they are, they are about to take over. You see, it's unusual what God is doing. The whole point of it was to reveal himself to everybody there. I am here. The unseen God, the invisible God is present in these things. And I would tell you that God leaves clues for you all the time that you miss. He says, no, I'm here. You know, and as you, isn't it funny how hindsight is 20-20? Because when you look back, you go, Lord, I can see you there and there and there, but I missed it as I was moving forward. My spiritual eyesight was messed up. That's how it works. God is telling Joshua that he's going to use unusual means to give him this city of Jericho. And God does the same thing. The battle that we face is not against flesh and blood. Therefore, our weaponry is unusual. Like we can't, we can't, there is no physical, you know, uh, a manifestation of the battle that we're facing. We can't see it. It's a spiritual battle. And yet it's manifested itself through us. As we have, you know, principalities and powers and, and, and rulers of darkness influencing our lives and causing us, not, not causing us, I don't want to give that impression, but influencing us, luring us, appealing to our flesh to do certain things, then we have, you know, the, 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 the forces of good, the, the angels that are battling against those demonic forces on our behalf. Not only that, but then God gave us the secret weapon. He gave us His Spirit inside of us. And, and that comes with a whole different set of gifts, folks. And many, many people will never experience the power of the Holy Spirit because they're afraid of the, the Holy Spirit. Because of things that they've heard about the Holy Spirit. Things that they've seen about the Holy Spirit. Listen, don't let the mishandling of the Holy Spirit or the, the claims of something that was of the Holy Spirit stop you from allowing the Holy Spirit, the true Holy Spirit, to work through you. Don't allow that to happen. 
Because listen, the early church would have never moved, moved an inch without the Holy Spirit in their life. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the power. That is our weaponry. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, 4, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against according to the flesh. Our weaponry, our weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Listen, you have divine power within you, and His name is the Holy Spirit, and He's given you the, the ability to overcome strongholds in your life, and He's given you power to work in other people's lives, to speak words of knowledge to them, to give them words of wisdom, just the gifts of encouragement. Whatever the gift is of the Spirit that you have, you've got to use them because they're meant to encourage the body of Christ. They're meant to reveal God to man. And so don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Our weaponry is not a physical nature, just like Joshua and the children of Israel. Their weaponry is unusual. It's not of earthly means at all. It's totally of the Lord. Last uh, couple weeks ago, we gave you one of these things. We gave you a little scroll that had a, a little piece of paper, and there may be a few in the back there. And, and this was a little prayer journal for you. And what it, it, what it was is here's some things that you can pray about. You can pray intentionally about our leadership, about maybe your involvement in 2017 and how God, uh, and for the people of the city of Columbia, that God would just prepare their hearts for what he's going to do through this church for them as he draws them to himself. You live intentionally. You're called to consecrate yourselves. This, these were the heart things that God was preparing the children of Israel to do or before he brought them into the promised land. So we live intentionally, consecrate ourselves. We follow intentionally. We do what he says. And then there was a whole blank um, little, little section there, a little table that you could fill in your own prayer requests. And, and the whole point of that was so that you could you know, be praying intentionally about the things that are going on in your life. And here's the awesome thing. Because God listens to us. Because God works and he, we invoke the God of heaven through prayer. We put a backside onto it and it's for prayer praise reports. Because God answers prayer. Like he, he, he does, you know, oftentimes, it's, I don't know how it works according to his will, how that all works, but we pray according to his will and we ask God to intercede on our behalf and the situation and, and he does and then we write it down because we will forget it as awesome as it might have been you know five years ago when god did that thing in your life it really is not that significant anymore and it tends to really fade to the back because we are living in the now kind of people and we forget and, he, and god said you know even to the children of israel take stones and stack them up because you that way you can remember hey what's that stack of stones for let me tell you and so you can write those things down on the back side of that pa paper and, you know, keep that thing and, and watch God move in your life because prayer is the weapon that we have. Prayer is our weapon when we go before the Lord. And it is the, the, the most unused weapon in your, you know, in your whatever you call it, uh, your arsenal. There you go. Thank you. Hey, it happens. Toot, toot. The train has left the tracks. But anyway, um, so we need to be praying people, right? Because prayer works. And that's, and everything that, you know, I'm, I've been reading different 
things in, in the revivals of the old, you know, of the 18th century and, and different things, and, and watching God take, take just normal people and move through their lives because of prayer. As they just begin to open themselves up to the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and they ask God to move, and they ask God to, to penetrate their city, and they ask God to transform lives. Do you know that, I, I told you about the Welch Revival before, but did you know that bars, like it literally shut the place down in terms of bars and all kinds of stuff. I mean, uh, bars went out of business because God had moved so greatly through that place. What can God do through us in Columbia, Tennessee? Listen, pray. It's your weapon. And it's something that I would say almost every Christian would say, I don't pray enough. Be intentional about that. Pray about it. Put on the armor of God. Ephesians 6. You know, gird yourself. Put it on. Put on the belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Shoes fit ready with the gospel of peace. The shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And of course, prayer. Those are the things. That's how we war against sin and evil. Notice the number seven in the text. Seven threes. You know, Seven times, the, these things. The, the number seven, as you know, is the number of perfection or completion. And it reminds us, listen, that God's plan, no matter what it is, is perfect. That God's plan, His design, is perfect for you. His plan is perfect for you. So don't try and change it. Don't try and make your own plan. Get on His plan because His plan is perfect. It's amazing that God is needless. He doesn't need to use us. You know that. I mean, He could have caused the, the walls of Jericho to fall down like that with a word. And yet he chooses. There's this partnership with man. And the purpose of it is not, not, not because that God needs us, but because we need him. And as he uses us through this, he brings us along with him in the process. He changes us. And he, again, he builds our faith and he helps us to see who he is. That's the point. So it's amazing to me how people can get arrogant in their faith. How can you get arrogant with your gifts? How can you get arrogant with what God's doing in your life when he's doing it and he's just letting you come along with it? I mean, it's like my son, you know, I'm telling him like, hey, you're riding your bike and I'm holding it behind him, you know, and he's, and he's really, he's like, look at me, dad, you know, and I'm holding, I'm holding him up. I'm doing it all. Look at me, dad, I did it. I am so awesome, man. The world should, should bow to me. What? Hey. FYI, I was holding the thing the whole time, all right? A little humility here. It does really blow my mind that we run around like champions when God does something through us like it's us. Look at me, Lord. Look at me. I did it, Lord. Okay, okay. Gotcha. We're just fortunate enough that God loves us, huh? But he says, eh, we'll talk about that someday. We'll talk about that later. So God gives them the plan. Now, 
Here's the deployment of the plan, verse 6. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the, the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day that I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on and they blew the trumpets continually and the armed men were walking before them and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they, reached around, they marched around the city once and they returned into camp. So they did for six days, and on the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times, and at the seventh time when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The people of Israel obeyed the command that God had given to Joshua, and they did everything he said as it related to the battle. They, were, they followed him. They did what he said, even though, no doubt, many of them thought that it was pointless. What are we doing? Why are we walking? You know, I don't know how far it was where they were walking, but, but we're leaving camp at Gilgal, we're walking to Jericho, we're letting them know we're coming, we're walking around this thing once, and could you, could you imagine the scene of that? Oh, here they come, here they come, and they got, their, they got all their barrels of hot, you know, oil or whatever, and, and they're waiting at the front gate, and then they're like, wait, they're going, wait, oh yeah, we get over here, and then they're waiting there, and they're, they're like, oh no, and they, they, like they circle inside their little thing. They're like, what are these guys doing? They're insane. Now, understand, their hearts were melting. Day one, their hearts melted when they saw the army come. Children of Israel are like, all right, let's do this. They don't know the full plan. God didn't give them every step. Joshua said, you do what I tell you to do until I tell you to do the other thing. They didn't know the timing of that or anything. He just said, you just march around the city and you do what I say and don't say a word. Do we muster up? You know, do we look bigger? You know, like, hey, man. You know, I, I, I mean, these guys were giants. They were big. That's why 10 of the 12 spies that went into the land before were afraid. We march around. They're thinking, what are they doing? These people are thinking, what are they doing? It seems pointless. Do we serve a God that is pointless? No. So you might be encircling 
You might be marching in circles in your life and you feel like, God, this is pointless. What am I doing? This job is pointless. I really want to just be out there saving souls and I want to be in the mission field and all this kind of stuff. And the Lord, and, you're mar- and you feel like you're marching around in circles, but God has a plan. It's not pointless. Like he's using that. He puts you there and he's using you. And he's a God with a plan. And he knows what he's doing. And yet oftentimes we kick against the goads. Just like Paul. And when he was Saul, the Lord was trying to awaken his heart to who he is. And he was trying to reveal himself. and, And he wouldn't listen. The more he heard about Jesus, the more aggressive he got. Until we get to Acts chapter 9, where Jesus himself reveals himself to Saul, and he says, Saul, Saul, don't you find it difficult to kick against the goads? Like, don't you understand I've been revealing myself to you, and you've been resisting me, and you've been having to purposely push yourself away because you know that it's true. You're kicking against the goads. And some are here today are kicking against the goads. You're saying, I've got a better plan, Lord. I promise you, you don't. I promise you. As, I mean, I have first-hand experience in doing my own thing. It doesn't work out really, really well. So, you know, just take it from somebody who's tried that. Don't do it. Follow his plan, even though you might not see the purpose in it. If he wants to move you, is he big enough to move you? Your only job in this whole thing is to listen. And then do what he says. That's it. It's simple. We have a simple job. Open your ear up, your spiritual ear to what he's saying to you, and then do what he says. It's that simple. We don't have to figure out the plan. We just have to obey it. Now, for some reason, the Holy Spirit inserts, after verse 16, verses 17 through 19, this kind of, <laughs> this it, rules of engagement section. And, and you know, they're kind of, we, we're already at the place where the walls are getting ready to fall down or whatever, they fall down. And, and here, he says, let's back up a second and let's talk about the rules of engagement. So here we go, verse 17. And the city and all that was within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you yourselves... Uh, but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing of destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord, and they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. The spoils of, of war generally belong to the warriors, right? That's, how, that's generally what you see, but um, as we see the children of Israel here, that will be the case as they move into the promised land. But in this particular case, the rules of engagement for Jericho very specifically say the first battle, everything that comes out of it belongs to the Lord. Everything. You get nothing out of the first battle. What's the spiritual principle in that? God gets our first fruits. He's setting the course for what their lives should look like daily. The first fruits of your life. He wants your best. 
you know, my question to you is, do you plan your schedule around you? Or do you plan it around Him? Do you plan your, where you're going to expend your time and energy, your talents, around your likings? Or do you, around Him? Do you take your finances and do you, is God the top line? Or is He whatever we have left? Are you a tipper or are you a tither? Are you someone who gives out of your first fruits or are you somebody who gives out of your whatever's left over? That's the principle here. He's saying, look, it's not, I'm going to give you far beyond what you could even imagine. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you everything else. And as you obey me in this, I'm going to bless your socks off. But don't disobey me in this because you will feel the pain. Listen, there are things in God's in, 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 in God's design for us, particularly that he has to be number one. And everything we do in life has to revolve around him. It doesn't mean you, have, you don't have any, any freedoms. What it means is you signed up and you died and he's living through you and he's the first. He gets everything first. You do everything, you, you design your life after him, not try and fit him in somewhere. Lord, I don't know if I can pencil you in on Thursday morning at, you know, 9 o'clock. I might have 10 minutes for you then. How is it that we don't have time for God? How is it that we don't have time for, you know, serving him? How is it that we don't have time, you know, for these things when that's the most important thing? And in fact, everything else flows out of that. You realize that? Like out of your devotional time with the Lord really flows the rest of your life. If your life's a mess... My, you're not spending time with the Lord. I guarantee you. I promise you, if your life is a disaster, it's because you have no devotional life. It's because you're not, you're not investing in yourself. You invest in yourself by sitting at his feet. And then he ministers to you. And I'm not promising you this glorious thing. What I'm saying is, is there is a circle of blessing that comes when we put him first in everything that we do. And that's what he's telling these guys. Put me first. Put me first. Second rule of engagement, Rahab. Bring her out safely. And all that she has evangelized, because remember, last week, the two spies told her, hey, um, whoever you talk to, whoever you, you know, your family members, you bring them all in your house, we'll save them, all of them. So she's the evangelist. And the, in the city of Jericho, and she goes and gets her family members and brings them in. Rahab was kept safe because she committed herself to the Lord. She feared him more than anything else. And because of that, God saved her. And it's a picture for us of what God is doing in our life, that he will keep us safe, that he preserves us, that he keeps his promise to us through Christ. Now, last week, I said something that I want to clarify because I don't want to give anyone a false impression. I said you can't lose your salvation. And what I, what I, meant, what I mean by that is if you've obtained salvation through Christ, then your life is going to be transformed. There is no other way. I mean, he said 
2 Corinthians you know, 5.17, if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old things have passed away. Everything's become new. And I would be amiss if I were to say, oh yeah, you're saved. You know, once you say the prayer, you're good, and you're, you're going to heaven and all that kind of stuff. That's my fault for not clarifying that. I have to make a, just a slight deviation here in what we're talking about, kind of, because it does go along with it. But I, I want you to understand that a life sold out for Jesus is the evidence of your salvation. And if it's not like that, like if, you're, if you have a life that's habitually in sin, the Bible's clear, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right? It, there's no way around it. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21 says this. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousies, fits of anger, revelries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It's not an exhaustive list. But what it's saying is these things, the things that God abhors, the things that he, he despises, and he despises these things because they're bad for us. They destroy us. He said, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 9, 9 through 11, same kind of thing. The idea here is that if your life is characterized by sin, then you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's the reality. God loves us and he wants to save us, but we have to step into that salvation. We've got to receive Christ and when we do, our life transforms and we change. We're different people. It's not a license to sin. Paul said that. Listen, where sin abounds, grace abounds the more. Yes, like as a believer, if you blow it and you, and you stumble along the way, and you will stumble along the way, and you, you know, you're going to have that sensitivity to the Spirit, and you're going to repent, and you're going to come back to Christ. And there are those cases of, of prodigals that, you know, but, but, but what he is talking about is somebody who is habitually in sin, who is living a lifestyle, and then they're going, but I'm, I prayed, I'm good. I mean, I'm going to heaven. That's not what this says. And we have to take that seriously. We have to look at our lives. That's why Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like the idea is, is I'm examining my heart, and I'm saying, Lord, I want, <laughs> I want to be sold out to you. And it's a continual dying to self and just going, Lord, I want more of you. That's the evidence of your salvation. You're not saved by that. But it's the reality is that that tells you you're saved because you, your life has changed. Paul said something incredible in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. I'm just going to read the whole thing, actually. Or do you not know that, you, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the, the, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the gospel. And some were such of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. All past tense, Jesus Christ did all the work for you on the cross. The evidence that He is, that, you know, your salvation is real is in the fact that you're now living for Him, that you're abiding in Christ, John 15. That is the evidence of your salvation. And you ought not feel comfortable if you're not living like that. 
Like you, you, it should make you uncomfortable to go, man, I'm not sure. Because, and here's the deal. John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it through him. That's God's heart for you. But he's not going to let you in if you don't obey his word. If you don't believe and receive Christ and let him start living through you. Does that make sense? I don't ever want to give anybody a false impression because I'm accountable for what I say. Rahab was saved. God brought her out. And, and look at, looking on in verse, um, verse 20, it says, the, the people shouted, the trumpets were blown, and as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great uh, shout, and the wall fell down so that the people went into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all of the city uh, to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen and sheep, and donkeys and the, with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring uh, out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she li has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. But Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the men who rises up and rebuilds this city, of city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and the, at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. God saved Rahab. He saved her, and he brought her out. It's a picture of the rapture, actually, if you look at it. Right before the full destruction came down upon Jericho, he removed her and brought her out. And he saved her, and then the destruction, utter destruction came upon Jericho. The children of Israel did everything that God commanded them to do. And the walls fell. Listen, it takes faith to see what Jesus is showing you, but it also takes obedience to see these things come to pass. Like God can give you all these great promises, but if you don't do what he tells you to do to obtain them, then you're not going to receive them. Just like coming to Christ. You have to lay your whole life down to him. You're surrendering your, all that you are to him. You're saying, I'm yours. That's the requirement. If you don't do that, then you can't obtain the promise. And the Bible's full of promises, and people love to get these little books that say, oh, the promises of God, and I want to read all the promises that God has given me and because I know that God is faithful to his word, and so I got all these promises, but I'm not willing to take the steps to obtain the promises. But man, do I have a trophy of promises of God sitting on my bookshelf that I read and they encourage me, and I go into the world, and I'm like, I got, I got the world by the tail but I'm not doing what God is calling me to do. You can't obtain the promise unless you're being obedient to his word. <laughs> These guys would have never obtained Jericho if they hadn't done exactly what God told them to do. 
Isaiah 119, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. What did that say? If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. There is this idea that we have to step out that which he tells us in order to step in to that which he promised us. The same thing James told us in James 1, 22 through 25. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a, human, he's like a man that looks intently at his natural face in the mirror and he's like, ooh, no. For he looks at himself and goes, I'm kidding, you, you missed that, but that's cool. Uh, for, he, <laughs> for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserve, uh, pre- perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be doing, he will be blessed in his doing. Now people think James is like the works-based salvation guy. He's not. What he's saying is all your works are evidence that you are saved. Yeah, he's saying these things, you know, that being a hearer of the word, many people hear the word, many people hear it, but they don't do it. They don't listen to it. They don't follow it. And so, you know, churches are filled with hearers, but it's the doers, the ones that actually apply the word to their life, that obtain the blessing. And that's what, that's what it was like for the children of Israel here. If they're going to enjoy the full promise of God, they're going to have to obey him. He promised the land, but they had to go into the land exactly the way that they were instructed. Listen, I don't know if you need to hear that today, but perhaps you do. God has glorious things planned for you. You know, we hear that all the time. God has a plan for your life, and you're maybe sitting here today, and you're like, man, I'm so tired of hearing that. I don't want to hear about God's plan for my life anymore because it's not working out the way that I thought. Well, the question is, really, are you doing what he said? Are you following him? Every step you take, are you intent in saying, Jesus, this is for you. This is steps for you. Steps for you. I want to live out right in the center of your will in my life. Whatever you want, Lord. Don't harden your heart against the word of the Lord. Because if you do, eventually you'll just stop hearing him. Ask the children of Israel. For 400 years, God didn't speak to them. It was silent. You've got to wonder what that was like. I don't ever want to find out. I don't want to find out. I don't want to harden my heart against the Lord and what he wants for my life because I know it's for my best. Joshua laid out a judgment upon those who would try and fulfill, try and rebuild Jericho. And do you know that some bozo tried to do that? And do you know that it happened exactly as Joshua proclaimed it to happen. It's in 1 Kings 16:34. In his days, Hiel the Bethel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of a bit a bit how do you say that? Biram the firstborn and I hate these names in the Old Testament it's like <laughs> It's like God's challenging my salvation here, man. He's like, "Are you really saved because you get mad when you read these things?" Uh, and uh, set, up, uh, set up its gates at the cost of the youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken by Joshua, the son of Nun. 
Here's the thing is God is faithful with his promises, yes, but God is faithful with his word, you know, period, whether we like it or not. You don't accept Christ, there is judgment for that, and he's faithful to his word. I close with Joshua 7.1, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Next week, we're going to see what happens when you don't obey the Lord. And it's not pretty, and it's not, it doesn't just affect you. I'm just hurting myself. Are you? That's not what this says. 36 guys die because of one man's decision to disobey the Lord. Listen, don't be that guy. Please. Don't be that guy in our church. Don't disobey the word of the Lord. As we close this morning, the Lord's given us a lot to consider. If you feel like you're going around in circles right now and you, you see no real point to where God has you, God would say to you that it's because you're looking through the wrong lens. You're seeing things on the physical level, through the physical eye. And God wants you to look through the eye of faith this morning. And when you do, he will begin to reveal to you the, the steps that you have to take. But until you're willing to, to step those out and walk them out, he's not going to show you because you're unbelieving. And God doesn't reveal himself to the unbelieving people. He's not going to make, he, unbelief stops the Lord from doing really ultimately what he wants to do. Let me say it that way. He always has a purpose for what he's doing, and maybe it's not the purpose that you want. But perhaps God is saying, hey, you're the trumpet, you're the ark, you're the priest. You're the, you're the, you're the shout, whatever it might be. You're the one that I'm going to reveal myself through in the place that I put you for my purpose. As I said before in the beginning, listen, contrary to popular belief, life is not about you when you come to Christ. It's about him. And it's about elevating him. And I love the way that Joshua ends here in chapter 6 because it says God made his name great. Joshua never sought out to make his name great, but because he was obedient to the Lord, God made his name great. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We, we praise your name. We thank you that you love us the way that you do, Lord. And that you're so patient with us, God, when we question you. And we, when we get disgruntled with, with you, when we shake our fist at you, when we're angry with you because you're not doing it the way that we want it done. Lord, would you forgive us this morning for the way that we act towards you, Lord? As wayward children sometimes, Lord, just ungrateful, unloving, unbelieving. We just ask that you would just cleanse our hearts this morning and that as we come out of this place today that we step into the light of obedience of whatever it is that you want us to do and I ask you Lord to just reveal as we uh, what it is that you desire to do in our, in our any given situation in our life Lord as we're maybe feeling like we're distant from you or 
whatever. I just pray, God, that you would just bring comfort to those even now. You help them to see that all they got to do is reach out to you and seek your face. And Lord, we do pray for anyone here this morning that is not sure if they're in relationship with you, that you even right now just touch their heart, you draw them to yourself, and you help them to just reach out to you, and you just say, God, I'm, I hear you today, and I want to surrender my life to you. I recognize that I'm a sinful person, and I know that my sin has kept me away from you. And I want to surrender that to you today, and I want to turn away from it, and I want to turn to you, Jesus. I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. I want to crown you king of my life. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and to make, and to just make me a Christian today. I believe in the cross and what you did on the cross for me, and I believe that you rose again from the dead for me. And I want to commit myself to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, for the rest of our body, for anyone who is discouraged, downtrodden, Lord, would you just work even as in this last song, and there'll be people up here to pray for them. And Lord, we just ask that you continue to move in these next few minutes, Lord, and help us to respond to what it is that you've just said to us. So let our hearts be focused on that now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.